Welcome to Sex Tech Talk, where we talk about sex, technology, and the ever-growing sex tech industry. I'm your host, Michelle, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Michelle, and this is Sex Tech Talk, and I am here with Beaver Meadow, and we are going to talk about her job as an intimacy coach. So she's an intimacy coach for adults with disabilities. So we're going to talk about her today, and we're going to talk about the sex tech event that she attended in Berlin. So let's go ahead and get started with Beaver. Tell me a little bit about yourself, and um, tell me about yourself and a little bit about the work that you do. Hi, thank you for inviting me. It's really good to be here. Before I get started, in the spirit of modeling, disclosing disability and asking for accommodations, which is a practice that hopefully more of us in the corporate world are um, are aligning with. Um, please bear with me if I take long pauses, because that's what happens in the menopause. Apparently, they didn't tell me that. But if I have a brain freeze or brain fog or I take a long time to find words that's yeah just my brain taking a while to process and um, bear with me thank you yes take your time whatever you need go for it (laughs) great so I describe myself as a sex and intimacy coach and partner surrogate and yes I help adults with disabilities both visible and hidden And I help them explore and express and come into alignment with their sexuality. So I wouldn't say that I work um, in sex tech per se, or, you know, that I'm um, aligned in the sex tech industry per se, but I do closely follow the industry um, to see the latest products and services that might work for my clients. Awesome. Yeah, because with this industry, there's always something new coming out and the technology is just booming right now. So I'm sure there's lots of products on the market that you could use with your clients. Um, Yeah, absolutely. There are. And, you know, I'm always looking at new um, equipment or new devices or new platforms that are already accessible. And, you know, I think one of the things about um, my work and sex tech and emerging modalities or emerging scientific fields of study like sexology um, reframing um, sexuality into the health and wellness industry um, you know the 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 increase in sex tech you know particularly after the last or after the pandemic you know in the last three years there's been a you know a real kind of um, march hasn't there forward in this industry and you know when i think about the clients that i work with for, for them um you know there's there's already so many barriers to them uh exploring and expressing their sexuality and we'll, we'll come on to that a little bit later like what what some of those barriers are and what, need, what we need to do to overcome but yeah so many barriers for them that anything that can um, help or support or give access to or facilitate or enable them to explore and express their sexuality, um, you know, is really good. And it feels like that, uh, you know, it's my job to kind of be on the on the cutting edge of that and to know about that so that I can signpost them to um, what's up and coming in the industry. Yeah, definitely. Because the more you stay up to date, the more value you can bring to your clients, you know, with the newer technology. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, for example, 
you know, imagine for a moment that you're a wheelchair user, you want to go to an adult venue. I mean, I've had I've taken clients to tech shops uh, before and we've arrived and it's there's no ramp and they can't even get into the shop. Um, you know, so then they kind of go, okay, well, I'll order online and we might do a piece of work together around, okay, what um, device um, might be useful for you for your um, self-pleasuring practice or whatever it is they want to explore. Um, but the website's not optimized. Um, so they meet another barrier. So it might be that, um, you know, they're doing this by themselves. They're not doing it with me. And it might be that they, you know, have a good relationship with a carer or a close friend that they feel comfortable um, it, um, talking about their sex life to. Um, and the carer might help them uh, order something online. And it arrives, great. But then, you know, it might be that they have uh, manual dexterity issues and then they can't open the packaging because um, that's not been thought about. So then they might have to ask someone to help them op opening. Them. And by this point, you know, that all sense of um, privacy or, you know, dignity is out the window because you're having to ask someone else to help you do something that's, you know, something that we do in private that's really intimate. Oh, totally. Like, <clears throat> I think about myself and like, if you know, when I order like a sex toy or something, like I want it to come in from Amazon and like a brown box. Nobody, my neighbors don't know what's coming. And like, you know, I don't want my kids and my husband to know everything that I have, you know? So like, you know, just everybody wants a sense of privacy, you know, but then you have to think, you know, when you don't have the ability to you know open the own your own packaging or the packaging's not made accessible then it's just a whole different situation yeah and so then you've got your pack you, you know you've opened it you've got some you've got this far i mean and already how many barriers ha have you had to overcome like ridiculous amount right and so then you're actually using the device well you know um you can't see you can't navigate the buttons because they're not raised and you might have um a sight impairment for example you know, um, so why not, you know, have raised operational features? And I know a lot of products now do as a, as a, you know, as a de facto standard, which is great. And I'm seeing more and more products on the market that are voice activated, which is even better. Yeah. And app controlled, which is great. Um, and also, you know, devices where you don't have to hold them in place with your hands. So using various belts or straps or anything like that, you know, to, um, to accommodate those needs. Um, if anyone can design a device that cleans up or collects semen after a self-pleasuring practice so that the carer doesn't have to come in and do that, that would be amazing. <laughs> but um, I'm not quite sure how that would work. Well, I've seen the one that's made for, you did the TikTok on it, the one that's made for women. Like, the, what is it called? I can't remember now. Dipstick. Yes, the dipstick. <laughs> drip, drip stick, the drip stick or the compon. Yeah, it's called the drip stick. Yes, which is great because that's, you know, that's for bo uh, female bodies. But, you know, if you're a man, if you're a male body and you, um, you know, you want to self-pleasure, but you don't have the ability to clean up after yourself, then the carer has to come in. And I mean, how mortifying, how embarrassing. Um, and, you know, we don't think about this, but I work with clients that, you know, that's their experience. That's their lived experience of accessing sexual pleasure. Um, and, you know, the, the options to them are very limited. You know, you either it's either you have a partner. Great. But then, you know, you can explore your sexuality. And if you don't have a partner, you know, you have to hire a sex worker or other, another sexual service. 
Um, and we'll talk a little bit about the differences between the different sexual services as well, because I think that's quite key in the same way that sex tech is in the realm of, well, it's more in the realm of health and well-being, isn't it? And growth and development and less in the realm of adult entertainment. And I think this shift from everything being orientated around um, gratification and an objectification of women and, the, you know, from the male perspective and the male gaze, like I'm thinking about the majority of porn is made by porn, by men, for men, you know, um, and this, you know, this increase in consciousness around pleasure, especially female pleasure, um, you know, it, it, it's like if we can get that into the public consciousness that, it, you know, that the sex industry isn't just about adult entertainment. It's like a, a vast field that includes education and um, medicine and uh, prevention of, of harm, you know, like the rape, the rape, anti-rape device. I can't remember the lady that um, designed that. Do you know? I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know anything about that. So. Oh, okay. There's a, yeah, yeah so um, a device has been made um, that women, uh, I think it's in Africa. I don't think it's available here, but in Africa, I know that they use it and it's like a device that you insert um, and it's got barbs on it. So if you um, are penetrated through unwanted contact, then the device then, um, you know, is stuck onto the, the penis of your perpetrator and they can't get it off because it's it's actually, you know, the barbs have gone into the skin and they have to go to hospital. <laughs> um, and then, yeah. Yeah, and then um, and then everyone knows that they committed rape, and there's evidence there because they've got this thing on the penis, which I think, I mean, it's pretty hardcore, right? But I mean, yeah, but I mean, unfortunately, we live in a world where we do need stuff like that, you know. So I think yeah. it's one more way to prevent somebody from rape, you know, getting raped, and absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, I specifically decided to work with sex and disability. Um, because, um, you know, I'm just so fed up of this, um, you know, unrealistic beauty standards and the pressure to have the ideal body and how, um, you know, if you don't, you're kind of like, you know, left behind, aren't you? It's all about, you know, uh, how do you rate yourself? How do you score yourself? Oh, she's 10 or she's, you know, she's an eight, he's a nine, there are, you know, three, all that kind of thing. Um, and we live in that kind of culture, don't we, where we're judged on purely how we look and how we show up on social media and it's all fake and it's got nothing right. to do with how you relate to each other and how you, you know, it's not relational, is it? It's very superficial. And, um, you know, and, you know, in disability, that's particularly problematic for able-bodied people because there are, you know, there's a discomfort around engaging with someone, you know, visibly disabled and you're not sure of how to um how to approach them or start a conversation it's a little bit different i suppose if you um have grown up around disability or you have you know secondary lived experience like someone in your family or you know a friend that has a disability and then it's not even an issue you don't even think about it but you're if you're if you haven't done that initial interact interaction with someone you know in a wheelchair say or you know with a vis visible disability can be quite scary and intimidating right and 
my my husband's mother um she passed away now but she started using a wheelchair when my husband was a teenager she had cancer and it affected her mobility and so like my husband notices things that even i don't notice you know like you know if he you know like sees somebody coming in a wheelchair you know he immediately like helps to part the crowd so that they can like come through mm -hmm. and like make sure that people can see their pathway like we were in disney world and you know there's a wheelchair user coming through and my husband you know there were people just walking in front like not paying any attention to this person and you know so my husband he's a big guy he's like you know 300 pounds like six foot like four he's a really tall dude and so he's just like part in the crowd like hey you guys like pay attention you know but that's you know if you're not used to you know living with somebody with a disability you don't even pay attention and it's really unfortunate for anybody who does have a disability or like a mobility issue that we live in a culture like that yeah absolutely and sex and disability is very hidden and you know it's it's almost like the last taboo isn't it right uh, yeah and you know in my work i am unashamedly public and out and open about the work that i do with my clients and you know it's about defying uh, taboos and shifting public perception um <clears throat> around sexual services in general and the difference between the various guises and offerings you know from sex work which is notoriously stigmatized uh, uh, to coaching to surrogacy to enablers and facilitators, educators, and then there's this whole um, army of um, body workers, conscious, you know, psychosexual um, body workers um, that are coming up through the alternative conscious sexuality kind of tantra scene, which I think is really interesting and fascinating and very um, pioneering. Um, and I think that's your next generation of sex workers, to be honest, because we all know that, you know, if you're doing sex work primarily out of financial necessity, then are you really in choice around it? Or are you being you know, financially forced into it? In which case, I mean, I'm all for sex work and I'm all for empowerment of women um, and empowerment of everyone. You know, let's not be gender binary here, but um, empowering everyone and everyone has the choice to do what they want. But if they're being driven um, out of, economic need then i then i would say that then they're not really full in full choice um also if they're being driven by um unprocessed you know trauma and acting out trauma then then they're not really fully in, empowered and in choice um and so, and then the ones that are doing sex sex work or coaching or surrogacy like um that are called to it it's a, it's very much a calling for me to, to be working yeah. in this way mm. and it's something that I was cool to when I was really young but I resisted it I was like no you know you can't be doing that that's not okay that's you you know that's wrong you you, you know uh, because of all of that stigma and shame around around working in the sex industry right it's, so yeah it's only in the last uh, 10 years you know when I turned 40 and my kids were grown up and left home and then I really sat down and I was like come on if I'm really true to myself my sexuality how I show up in the world the things that I've learned the wisdom that I have and the way that I want to um, show up if I'm really honest about it then it is it is to go and work in this capacity with this client group um, yeah there was a big piece around that yeah, definitely.
So for anybody who's still confused, like what is it exactly that she does? <laughs> Can you give us a couple examples of the types of work that you do with people? Uh, yeah, so I mostly work with um, male bodies, not always, I occasionally work with couples and they usually come to me um, looking to explore a particular aspect of their sexuality. So um, I don't service clients. If they're looking for service, then I will refer them to a sex worker who works with disability. Um, so, you know, if they say, um, do you do, how much is your full service? I'm like, that's not what I'm doing. Um, if they want to have full service, i.e. penetration, because they've never had penetration before, they might be, like I work a lot with mature adult virgins, um, and they want to um, ex they want to have go through on that process and have a sexual awakening. There's a whole piece around that of uh, sex ed initially, and then a piece around consent, a piece around what their boundaries are. Because if they if they haven't had any sexual experience, how do they know what their boundaries are? How do they right. know how they want to be touched? How can they actually consent to anything if they don't know? themselves and they haven't had any exploration into it they might think that they want whatever but it's not until you actually start touching or working with the body and the body will soon tell you if it's oh that doesn't feel quite right or actually yes I want more of that so a lot of my work is around um not just consent as in you know do you consent to having sex that's way too vague because consent is so much more nuanced and um right it's not static it moves throughout time so i'm looking at informed um enthusiastic ongoing consent throughout the whole session and so that means that they have to be able to say uh no to touch that's that they don't like um you know not just tolerate it or put up with it or hope that i We'll do something different you know actually be able to verbalize and say that's not working for me i actually would really like this now yeah because if i can't hear their yes how can if i can't hear their no sorry how can i trust their yes right gosh everybody needs this in their life like gosh i think of my whole life as a young person as a teenager in my 20s you know like even through the beginning of my marriage like you know how to verbalize you know what you like what you don't like you know, and to understand, and I think, you know, a lot of men especially need to understand enthusiastic consent, you know, like, you know, just because the person says, yes, I want to do this at the beginning doesn't mean that, you know, you start doing something they don't like, or, you know, like it's a whole, you know, it's a whole atmosphere. That's right. That's right. So I work with um, the wheel of consent. It's a body of work by Dr. Betty Martin. And when I discovered her work, it it just revolutionized my my own relationship to my sexuality and and also just how I show up in the world in other areas of my life. Because once you learn how to say no to the things that you don't want and yes to the things that you really do want, your life just changes and you level up. Mm, yeah. yeah. And we, you know, there's all sorts of reasons of why we we find it difficult to say no. Um, and especially, you know, for women in the past, it's dangerous for us to say no. And so we've learned to just kind of go along with or, you know, or we, you know, we just kind of like appease because, you know, we don't want um, the backlash or the negativity that our no, you know, historically has, you know, provoked, um, you know, um, 
you know, it's hard to hear and it's hard to hear someone's no because we feel rejected. Um, so, you know, there's a whole a whole lot to unpack and explore around these two simple words, yes and no. So I do a lot of work and um, practicing that. But, you know, and it's quite playful and it's quite fun and it's quite sexy as well. Um, and then we're looking at tracking arousal and what happens when we talk. And do we have the language to talk about sex? And of course, with clients that are nonverbal, this is particularly problematic because, yeah, they still have sexual wants and desires, but how to actually communicate that and get ongoing enthusiastic consent through sessions, um, you know, is is a challenge. Um, and, and that's, you know, where sex tech comes in, of course, because, you know, a lot of my clients will be using AAC devices, so um, augmentative, augmentative alternative communication devices um, with um, eye tracking um, functionality so that they can construct sentences and then the computer, you know, speaks in a computerized voice. So, you know, we can we can do that, although um, most of the software for these devices, they don't have anything about sex on them. They don't have an icon for blowjob or for, you know, French kissing or for BDSM or you know, or anything like that. It's a very basic, um, you know, hug, kiss, love, sleep with, bed. <laughs> right. But just something else, we need somebody else to help out and get into that. Somebody who knows how to do that type of programming because it's needed. Like you said earlier, it's part of your wellness. It's more than adult entertainment. It's part of your well-being. Yeah, it's part of quality of life. It's mental health. It's you know, I mean, the the fact that there's even a debate about is sex a human right to me is just mind boggling. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I would rephrase it and say sexual expression is a human right, and that might need to be enabled or facilitated in some way. Um, if it's not possible that you can explore and express that yourself, um. But yeah, is it a right? Is it a need? Well, I mean, according to the World Health Organization, absolutely yes. And the law, you know, as it, I don't know in other countries, but in the UK, you know, for sure, um, you know, there are laws in place and equality and disability human right laws that categorically say that everyone has the right to explore and express, you know, and have relationships and sex and intimacy is part of relationships. So, um, yeah, if the state fails to um, make provision or accommodate or give access to, um, then, well, the, the law's being broken, isn't it, by the people that are, right. yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it's crazy. But yeah, some, some, interesting you know. stats, some interesting stats for you, though, in terms of sex tech in the industry and how you know, financially, it's, um, you know, the projective growth over the, the next three years is insane, isn't it? I think I was reading in Forbes that it's jumping up from, was it 30 billion to 270 something billion. That's yes. the, it's wild. It's wild. And so in the in the disability um, arena, one in five consumers have a disability. So the purple pound, which is the spending power of the disability community, is worth in the uk alone uh 274 uh, billion pounds wow 16 billion of that is through online revenue and uh 73 of um disabled consumers um experience barriers um on a quarter of websites that they try to access so you know, they try to buy your product but they can't because you're not accessible two billion of that revenue is lost um 
by businesses ignoring the needs of disability community. So when I went to sex tech in Berlin, I was particularly interested to see how the industry is navigating that, that, that um, diversity, equality, inclusion, and equity from the outset, not as an add-on, you know, but right from the very beginning. So are the websites um, optimized? Are the products designed and packaged? You know, are they consulting with the disability community at, at inception and at the design stage from the outset? Um, because if they're not, then, you know, why not? And that's not okay. Right. And just a little basic information, like how can you tell, like if we have somebody listening who owns a website or a shop, how can you tell if it's optimized for somebody with a disability to use? Um, so there are, um, there are optimization widgets that you can, you know, can run checks. Mm. Yeah, you can run your website through a checker and it will, it will highlight the, I think there are 12 main points. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but it, you know, it's things like, um, can the text reader read it logically? Are the images, did all the images have descriptions? Um, you know, so the text reader can read the image. Uh, do the fonts, um, can you increase the fonts without the, you know, text spilling off the page? Can you, is there a um, contrast between the text on the backgrounds, you know, for people with um, uh, sensory, you know, sensory issues, that kind of thing. There's a whole list of them. It's things that you probably wouldn't think about, but then when you think about it, it's obvious. And you're like, oh yeah, we, we're just so used to living in a neighborless world that we don't really um, consider all of the, the, those things. Exactly. And that's why it's so important to have these conversations, you know, because, you know, somebody might not think that sex tech relates to disability at all, you know, and so but then they hear us talking about it and they're like, oh, wow, like I didn't even think about any of that. So I think it's just important to keep talking about it. Yeah. I mean, for me, for, it's it, <laughs> when I think of sex tech, um, I, I immediately think of the disability community because tech has allowed them to access so much more of the world around them than what they could before, before, you know, the age of the internet. I mean, yeah. that, to me, that's a no brainer. It's obvious. And if, you know, I would have uh, naively thought that sex tech kind of came, came out of that, out of the, you know, needing more access for people with disability, but apparently it didn't. But anyway. <laughs> so yeah, for my clients, it's massive. It gives them more choice. It gives them access. It, helps them to get more mobile put them in different positions it restores it can help to restore their sexual function and sensation they can um it can help them have more pleasure it can help them get better educated a lot of my clients don't receive sex education um because they're deemed to be um you know they're they don't you know they're desexualized or they're infantilized or medicalized so you know at the age where we receive sex education which is not that great anyway a lot of my clients right. get anything you know they might have been you know not in mainstream school they might have been in um you know be, been segregated um and also like we said tech sex tech can enable someone to communicate their sexual needs and also bring them out of isolation there's um there's quite a lot of online sex positive and inclusive communities um 
there's uh, you know Facebook groups where they have morning socials, and it's a safe space to talk about uh, sex, and it doesn't matter you know what your body shape is, what your disability is. Everyone is welcome. That's the premise of it. Of it is that everyone is included and everyone is welcome, and they will try to accommodate you um, if you show up there. Um, you know, if you're brave enough to kind of like put yourself out there, they want you to, you know, they want you to feel welcome. And there's, I see more and more of these apps and community um, groups popping up everywhere and it's brilliant. Love it. Yeah, it's amazing. I know I love seeing the inclusivity in a lot of the online spaces. It's just like, you know, I mean, it's something I didn't grow up with, you know, so it's just like seeing this happen is just, I don't know, it's really special to see. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing about um, the you know work with sex and disability, um, for the general population, um, when sexual expression is in alignment um, with their health and well-being, then there is a reduction in behaviours of concern. And what I mean, what I mean by that is when you have a um, you know a, an outlet for your sexuality, for your sexual expression that is in alignment that I'd, and I wanna make the distinction here between, you know, um, is it healthy? Is it right or wrong? And I know that there's some criticism about sex tech. Well, you know, is it right that sex tech, um, you know, are, are we're all gonna be replaced by robots, you know, that kind of thing. Right. <laughs> question about, you know, what is healthy sexual expression? What is unhealthy sexual expression? Um, you know, so is kink, um, he a healthy way to express your sexuality, um, you know, is it, and and the and the question is, is it, it isn't is it healthy or not? That's that's not the point. The point is, is it healing? Because for one person, you know, kink might be um, quite destructive. They might not have processed their uh, their traumas and they're just reenacting unhealthy power dynamics, right? Because it's familiar to them, but they're not conscious about it. Whereas for another person kink and BDSM might be just the ticket, just the thing, just, just the thing that they need for healing because they might need to process and rewrite or reframe or rewire a, a time in their life where they were powerless, where their boundaries were crossed and they get to reenact or explore the same dynamic, but more consciously. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's so subjective. You know, you can't just like put a broad statement across and say, one thing is, you know, good or bad, you know, it's all gray area and it's all depends on the person and their lived experiences. That's right. So part of your job too is providing like sex education and resources. So can you tell me like a little bit about like how you start working with clients? So maybe like, where do your referrals come from? How do you meet your clients? And what is like your first couple meetings like? Mm. Uh, so when I first started working, so it's my notifications pinging, which I thought I cancelled, but I obviously didn't do that right. Um, uh, what was the question? I got distracted. No, it's okay. Um, so like, where do your clients come from, like your referrals, and what is your first meeting like? Right. So when I first started um, stepping into this work, I listed on the TLC Trust website, which is an online um, listing for primarily sex workers 
who um, work with disability and they are vetted by the Sexual Health and Disability Alliance. So you have to kind of been vetted or, you know, or recommended by somebody else in the sex and disability uh, community. And fortunately, um, I knew Topic Owens, who was the founder of, um, uh, of the Outsiders and the TLC. Um, so I got listed, and I'd, um, but I, I didn't list myself as a sex worker offering services. I listed myself as a coach and a surrogate. Um, and uh, yeah, the very first day, I got my first client, and I haven't stopped working. Oh, the first day! <laughs> the very first day, and I've been inundated since. I mean, I'm literally so busy, it's ridiculous. I have a, a thriving private practice. I have a waiting list. Um, I, I, if someone can clone me, that would be great because <laughs> because the the, the 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 demand is there um proof of concept you know is done i'm in that point in my business where i'm expanding um and growing and moving into training because i just there's too many i have too many clients which is a great position to be in um and i didn't do any marketing or branding either so that just goes to show right if you're offering something that's really needed uh you know, it's needed. It's needed. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, a lot of people don't even know the work you do exists. You know, like I never even thought about it, you know, until we talked. Yeah. So I think just sharing and, you know, like you said, the training and you did. Okay. So the training you did for Australia was that um, like your intimacy coach training? Uh, no. So I trained in psychosexual somatics back in 2015. And that was a year long training. That was a real deep dive um into the you know the psychosexual aspects and uh part of that there was a, an, a a body work element so we're looking at um one-way touch de-armoring working with energy working with trauma um consent all of that kind of stuff so that so um so that was one piece prior to that i'd done um a, dance movement therapy so I had the therapy background then I had the psychosexual element or the sexology element um but then I realized that I wanted to do two-way touch with clients you know I wanted to in the same way that I'd used my body as a therapeutic tool in dance movement therapy I felt that clients um you know may want that they you know they don't want to just receive touch they're always receiving touch clients are being touched all the time by carers and you know, and they, you know, and I wanted it to be two way. I wanted them to see um, what they were able to give, not just always be on the receiving end. You know, and with it, it might with some clients, it might be that they, you know, they're not able to instigate physically because they don't have the um, mobility. But you know, but they might have a voice, and it's like, okay, you know, how can we? How can you step in? Um, you know, by using your voice as a way into your sexual empowerment. Yeah. That kind of thing but, but going back to your question about where how i got my clients so yeah i listed on the tlc and then um so the way that i work is a client will uh, initiate a contact with me and i ask that they email me if that's possible but if not then we find other ways of communicating and i invite them to um like a 30 minute discovery call it's very important that they meet me and i meet meet them online um and that we and I'm capturing their, you know, their requirements and their accessibility needs. And I'm kind of really getting to the bottom of what it is they want to explore and why, um, and you know what their, the, what their goals are, what they aim to 
uh, siren going past <laughs> what they uh, what their outcomes are because this is coaching right and it's got to be quantifiable and measurable um otherwise it's just it's just servicing right right that's the difference it might be that i'm still doing all the same things that a sex worker might do but uh, i'm coming from a very different um perspective i'm not um i'm not in this they can't i'm not allowing them to objectify me or to take gratification from me um and the sessions aren't goal orientated towards a peak orgasm experience whereas sex work generally is they generally want that at the end you know the typical happy ending right right yeah this is relational this is about you know connection uh vulnerability intimacy it's not about rubbing body parts um yeah right and i think the aspect of teaching people to also be the giver and not only the receiver is a really important part of intimacy yeah absolutely but you know my work is very varied you know and disability shows up in many different ways um and so basically my work is just really about problem solving um you know i i have zero zero shame um or guilt about sex anymore i mean i did have for many years um but because i don't have any guilt or shame i'm then kind of like a permission slip for them to not i'm modeling that to them yeah and that allows them to kind of open up about their the the real you know crux of it the real desires their real insecurities you know and i'll show up in the space and share my insecurities and say you know this is my body this is this is my 50 year old you know cellulite and stretch marks and psyche boots <laughs> yeah. and this is me you know who are you you know and i invite them to share with me their bodies and what they like and don't like about their bodies so it's, it's, it's very honest it's very um focused um and it's a journey and it's a beautiful journey i'm really always honored when a, a new client wants to work with me because i'm i feel like i'm holding the, the most vulnerable aspect of themselves and but also them one of the most powerful aspects of, of them exactly and i mean what you do changes somebody's life you know somebody who thought they would never get to experience intimacy and pleasure in that way you know you're what you do is life-changing for them yeah absolutely you know and then i have clients who's who you know they might so there's a there's a difference between clients with uh congenital disability so they're born with disability and they the way that i work with them is, is different to the way that i might work with someone who has an acquired disability through you know accident or illness or just old age you know the body's breaking down so with clients with an acquired disability that's more about reframing sexuality because the sex that they had before they can't have now because there's you know there's some um level of lack of function or lack of sensation or lack of something or other right and that's not gonna that's not gonna come back usually um and so it's you know reframing sexuality um and and helping them process that and helping them move forward um and with congenital um it, yeah it's different because they they haven't experienced sex in any other way that you've always inhabited that body do you see so there, there are two very different psychosexual elements to that oh exactly yeah yeah and so i'm very mindful of that when i'm working with clients and 
um, um, and holding holding that space and giving them an opportunity to share um, how they feel about their bodies, their sexuality, um, and how that is for them, and how they feel about you know maybe not being able to have a partner to explore with, and the sadness around that 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 might not happen for them, which is in the case of my clients with you know complex needs actually. Um, yeah, and I think last time we talked, you had told me that you had done something as simple as like holding someone's hand in the park, and yeah. like that kind of intimacy is important as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, this client wanted to, ha uh, yeah, feel like what it might be like to have a girlfriend. Um, he'd never experienced that. He was in his 30s and just walking through the park, holding his hand while he's in his wheelchair and people looking at him walking past. He had the biggest smile on his face. Like, look, I've got this woman, you know, she's with me. She's holding my hand. You know, I am available to date, you know. I'm fuckable. don't know if I'm going to say that. Um, yeah, say yeah. It. it's true, no. yeah. Well, I mean, I've noticed that the uh, closed captioning is like editing what we're saying, which I am not super happy about, but I don't know if there's a setting I can turn off for that. But yes, say fuckable on my podcast. I have it marked as explicit, <laughs> but that's true. That's how you would describe yourself. Like, you know, maybe you don't feel fuckable, you know? So it's like have that feeling and have people look at you in a sexual way is really important. Yeah. I have clients tell me that they, they don't feel human. When they when they when they're desexualized, they're not human. Yeah, and um, yeah, and I, I kind of almost want to make up some merch that says, you know, can't walk, can fuck, or uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, don't disable my libido or loot. You know, I don't know. There's, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you can play on words, and you know, like badges for my younger clients. They they go out clubbing with their friends. They see their friends hooking up with, you know, women, and they're like, "What? Why? Why? You know, can I not hook up with a woman? How? How can I? You know, what? What do I need to, you know, get a woman in a hookup in a nightclub?" I'm like, "Yeah, maybe we should just get you a badge. You know, like, you know, I'm great in bed. Ask me." <laughs> yes, I would. I've been professionally trained. You know, <laughs> like, I graduated from the disability sex coach school. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I'm sure they have more training than anybody else in the room. You know, most people don't have that kind of specialized coaching and training. Exactly. I mean, especially the piece around consent, right? That right. is so powerful, you know, and also, you know, really leads to, um, you know, into a deep dive into intimacy very, very quickly when that, when that con consent piece is there, because you're creating... Uh, safety and when people feel safe then they can relax and when you can relax you get hornier right and the arousal can really start pumping so um it's it's in everyone's interest to really learn this piece around consent i can't stress it enough and all that's what i focus on mostly in my sessions exactly and because when you feel that safety you feel like you can open up to somebody you feel less shame it's just like a domino effect you know of good things so i think that's really important to start with yeah absolutely absolutely yeah all right so let's talk a little bit about sex tech and i also want to remind anybody listening in if you have a question you can type it in the chat 
or feel free to raise your hand. And then at the end, we'll do a little Q&A. So feel free to participate, make comments in the chat. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the sex tech event in Berlin. So tell me all about it. So <laughs> tell me everything you did. <laughs> I think the, the most, uh, uh, most interesting thing that happened, well, not the most interesting, but one of the interesting things that happened was uh, I did a TikTok live. And oh, wow. <laughs> well, I attempted a TikTok live uh, and within 10 minutes, TikTok suspended it and I was banned oh, no! from doing another live for however, however many uh, for a period of time. So, um, you know, talk about challenges of working in the sex tech industry. Um, yeah, that happened. <laughs> OK, so what was your TikTok about that all of a sudden they banned it? Well, so I did um, on the plane going over, I just did a little, you know, teaser, like I'm on my way to the Sex Tech Festival. What's going to be there? Is it inclusive and accessible? You know, follow me. I'm going to be live tomorrow from the Sex Tech thing, and this big build up. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, the following day, I clicked on the live and I was just filming. Um, uh, oh, I've forgotten his name. The guy that... Um, manufactures the handy um the masturbation device and i was just filming a little bit of his clip and i think it's maybe because he said masturbation maybe about three or four times in that clip that that might have alerted um you know the censorship team on the other end and then, and then i was just kind of scanning around you know showing the different stands and stalls and um you know there's some some uh, very gorgeous beautiful sculptures 3d printed sculptures of male bodies and um, penises and, and being in all sorts of different sexy embraces so i was you know showing that <laughs> i think that's probably enough <laughs> yeah i mean i was following along on like instagram and like what other social you know like i guess it was just instagram maybe a little bit on linkedin about the event so um tell me like what kind of speakers did they have so what what did you attend when you were there did you go to all of the scheduled sessions um i tried to i mean you know there was a lot it was there was a lot packed in i didn't get to do everything that i wanted um and yeah i was kind of pretty brain dead by the afternoon <laughs> that is a little overwhelming like, yeah, like traveling it's just like you know, and plus, if it's an industry you're excited about, you want to like see and do everything. So it's like a lot to take in. I wanted to talk to everyone. I wanted to listen to every every speaker and really take everything in and take notes because it was all so incredibly fascinating. Um, yeah, and I and, and my poor brain just I didn't have the capacity for that. Like they don't tell you this about menopause of of, of how you you. You know the processing of your brain and the capacity for you know for concentration for long periods just totally goes it's very annoying yeah i know nothing about menopause like i was never taught anything about it by anyone so it's going to be i mean i'm 36 so it's going to be completely up to me to like do research and learn about it i mean never in school my family never talked about it like so it's like i'm gonna just have to figure it all out on my own yeah yeah, and also, you know, there's something else around tech in itself, for me, is a scary word. I am a technophobe. I am pre-internet. You know, I'm paper and pen. I'm pig send a pigeon. You know, so social media and all of this, you know, online stuff is 
no, I'm not gonna lie, it's, it's a challenge and it's taken me a, a long time to get up to speed and my daughters really laugh at me when they see me on my phone, like, you know, with my fingers and like tapping with one finger. They're like, mum, you've got two thumbs, like, you know, like that. And I don't, I don't know, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get it. Like it's, you know, and I mean, I grew up more in tech, you know, like I went to elementary school, like in the nineties and like, we didn't have a lot, but like we had some tech in the schools and, but even by the time I got to college, I already felt like I was behind a lot of the kids coming in behind me. You know, like, I feel like there is a gap between just like using all this technology and you know, like people were bringing their laptops to class to take notes and I was like, still had my notebook and pen out, you know? So it was just like, it's a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I still managed to get 15,000 followers on TikTok overnight. <laughs> exactly, see? Like it's about your content and what you make and like how people are interested. So I think that's so cool. I mean, obviously you're saying something that people wanna hear. Exactly, exactly. And there were, I think I had 2.6 million views on a particular TikTok, where I didn't actually say anything. I just nodded and shook my head. You know, there was a trend, the yes, no trend, and just text, you know, above my head. Um, and off the back of that, there were 4,000 comments. And it was such an interesting debate. But the majority of it, I would say probably 90% of it was like, yes, great. You know, this is brilliant. Um, your work is really important. It's really needed. Um, and just a couple of haters, but you know, um, really that in itself, if we just took those comments and made a little book out of it, I think that in itself says a lot about what the public actually want. You know, we want to get away from this, you know, the old structure, the old patriarchal, you know, objectifying, um, it, you know, objectifying women. And, you know, we want, we want fairness and equality and inclusivity and diversity um yeah we want conscious sexuality we want consent yeah definitely i agree and i think you know especially you know luckily the younger generations that are coming in you know are learning more about this than we ever learned right. you know and so it's really cool to see you know like they are growing up with this knowing that consent is a thing that wasn't a thing like when i was growing up when i was a teenager and a young adult like nobody talked about consent you know like it was just black and white like either you got raped or you didn't you know oh, and like rape was this idea you know that somebody it was very violent somebody holds you down like it wasn't saying no and then somebody persuading you and then you just realize it's easier just to go along with it you know like it's you know it's a totally different culture now and people are learning more and i think that's just really cool yeah, and you know what's really alarming with my clients is that the um, prevalence of sexual assault amongst disability community yeah. is huge. Of you course. know, um, because they're you know because they're vulnerable, perceived to be vulnerable. Um, you know, they don't have that much of a voice, um, and so yeah, so they are targets. Per, you know, perpetrators specifically target them. And I don't, I you know, I had so many clients tell me that when they were in hospital or being going through their rehabilitation, um, that they um, that they experienced unwanted sexual contact by their by the staff, you know, by nurses, carers, um, you know, 
the people that were supposed to be there helping them heal and recover were the very ones that were taking advantage of them and, uh, and abusing them. Um, yeah. And that's just so terrible. And like you and I had talked about in our last conversation, you know, the disability community is left out of the sex education conversation, yeah. you know, and it's just like, you know, so a lot of times people aren't prepared for what could be coming their way. And that's not fair. I think we really do a disservice to the disability community by ignoring them. Yeah, that's right. And especially because their bodies are quite, you know, public property anyway, as it were, because they are constantly being, you know, touched by, you know, medical staff and carers and whatnot. It's like, well, how do they, you know, that there's a split second moment, isn't there, where kind of touch goes from, oh, this is, you know, normal kind of care to then, oh, actually, you know, this kind of feels ick and this isn't quite right. But then, you know, you doubt yourself, don't you? You go, did I just imagine that? Actually, that really happened. And you kind of, you know, you kind of can't believe that it did. And so you minimize it, don't you? It's all of that. And if we can have really good, you know, consent education right from the off, um, then you know without a doubt you can you can really trust and validate when you when you get a no and, and when your body says no and then act on it straight away. Exactly. Because you know, you may not be in the position to control what happens to you, but you can internally recognize like early warning signs that something could happen or, you know, you immediately know within yourself that it's wrong and that can do a lot for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we've got a couple questions from Paulina. So I'm just going to go ahead and read them out loud from the chat just so we have them on the podcast. Okay. <clears throat> so Paulina says, could you elaborate more about women and disability? I feel like whenever I talk with disabled people about sex, women get much more defensive and men get super excited. And she said this was talking with blind people. Okay, so I don't feel the best qualified to answer that question because I don't tend to work with female bodies or women. I'm mm. mostly my clients are uh, identify as male. Um, so. Um, do I have anything that I can honestly comment on about that? I don't think that I do, to be fair. Yeah, but that's, you know, another area where we need more research. You know, we need somebody who can. So if somebody's listening and is in this area, um, get in touch with us because we would love to hear more about that. Yeah, I would say, actually, um, that um, there, aren't, there aren't as many male or... Uh, male um sex uh, sexologists or coaches or you know conscious sexuality practitioners working in this area so if you are a woman and you have a disability and you want someone to explore that within a safe container your options are limited and that's hard to believe your options could be even more limited you know and but you had said you're starting to do some trainings right um Yes, so we're in talks at the moment with um, Touching Base from Australia. They've just released their first professional disability awareness training for sex workers, which is so exciting. It's the first of its kind in the world. And the training was amazing. It was really, really good, very comprehensive. Um, and they want to roll that out um, globally. So we are um, seeing how we can collaborate with them to bring that um, over this side of the world and maybe expand and broaden that to include 
um, other sex sex uh, sexology practitioners. So anyone working in sex and disability would benefit from from their training, and that's really exciting because because that's never happened before, um, and that sh that just shows me you know that we're they're really moving in the right direction, um, and that sex and disability you know actually is there are a lot more, there's a lot more representation media representation around disability generally um and sex and disability you're starting to see that more and there was the that great um sex education on netflix that's that series oh um, yes and i haven't watched that yet is it good okay well i won't i won't spoil it for you but yes there was a really nice sex scene in there between a disabled guy in a wheelchair and an able-bodied and the main woman um, and there was a whole um, consent conversation before they got down and it was so good it was so beautiful I just literally jumped up out of my chair and threw my arms up in the air I was like yes we're getting there once it's in hits the mainstream then you know we've cracked it haven't we so I completely we cut out for a minute I completely missed what you said okay the last thing you said was before they got down so what did you say right before that what happened <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna let you watch it. <laughs> no, they they had a, they did a, a piece around consent. There was a beautiful um, consent conversation. Yeah, which you very you very rarely see that on on telly or in film. Definitely, yeah, and that's something you don't see. That's a piece that's usually missing. So yeah. just to see that sets a good um, example. Yeah. Okay, so Paulina has another question. So she said, let's see, hold on, let me get to the right one. She said, also, I was thinking about how at the beginning of the conversation, you talked about sex and privacy and how nice it is to get sex equipment delivered discreetly so nobody would know. But I'm sitting here and thinking if in this day and age, we should still keep that private. How else are we going to talk about it openly? Yeah, and that's something I had mentioned too. Yeah, how I get it delivered discreetly and like, you know, and I guess it just depends, you know, how you personally feel about it. I think since I've gotten into this space, I am getting more, um, I guess, less shy. Let's just say that, like less shy, less like embarrassed or shame filled, you know, than I was before. So I feel like as a person, I'm making progress. And I think the more we have people modeling for us, you know, how to be shame free, the better we're going to get. What do you think, Beaver? Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Everyone is on their own journey with their, their sexual sexuality. And we all have our own internalized fear and shame that stop us from really showing up as our authentic sexy self. Right. Yes. Um, and so. Um, so you need to have, you know, options and choices. So for some people, yes, they absolutely, you know, some of my clients, they absolutely, you know, would be mortified if anyone found out that they were seeing sex coach, you know, and that confidentiality and privacy is the most important thing. Um, and some of my clients, they'd be on a TV documentary tomorrow, like having their sessions yeah. filmed, like and put out you know <laughs> a primetime tv because they you know they they, they want to get this out there so you have to respect everyone's um you know timing and pacing around how they you know show up and reveal themselves and the vulnerability around that but you know i think about um this idea about being a permission slip and when you walk through the world 
with no shame around your sexuality. You really are a beacon of light to people that are struggling, um, you know, suppressing their their sexuality. You know, and I think about um, like um, the people that I admire, my influences like Cindy Gallup, the, the uh, make love not porn lady. Um, you know, why is she so popular? Well, you know, it's because she's honest about who she is. And, you know, she stands on stage at TED Talk and she says, you know, I, I have sex with younger men, you know, and when they, you know, kept saying, could they come on my face? You know, I realized that we had a problem here. Um, you know, <laughs> right. That's the first time that anyone had ever said anything like that honest, you know, on a TED Talk. And, you know, and they you know, yes, it was shocking, but also people relate and they go, yeah, great. You know, someone's brave enough to actually speak, say what, you know, I'm not brave enough to say. Um, and people feel safe around that um, that level of congruence and really showing up authentically, even if it's challenging and in your face, because, you know, your higher self recognizes the truth of that. And 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 that's a really beautiful thing. But it takes a lot of courage to sh to like uh, when I was <laughs> at the sex take, this is a little story. Um, is it, uh, Anna Lee was doing her talk on the lioness. The, the oh, I love the lioness. Yeah. It's so so I don't was, have one, but that's my dream. <laughs> right, right. Neither do I. But so she was talking about collecting 150,000 data sets of, you know, females orgasming. Um, and and I'm just listening and I'm thinking, uh, what about multiple orgasm? Like, I really want to talk, ask her about that because, okay, so she's collecting data sets from one orgasm, but does your orgasm change like the third, the fourth, you know, in any one session? And then I'm thinking, right. am I the only one that like, you know, like I wanted to get up and ask her a question and put myself out and go, you know, one's not enough for me. Like my best orgasm is the third one. Like, am I normal? Is anyone else? But I wasn't brave enough to say that out loud. Um, yeah. And I wish I had, but I was, but I, you know, I'm noticing that, you know, even though with my work, there are still areas, you know, where I, where I hold back, where I'm reserved, where I don't fully show up. I did go up to her privately and we had a conversation about it and she said oh my god i'm so glad you said that she's like so many women are saying that their third orgasms are the best how does that work i've never no. you know so we had a really great conversation and i'm really glad that i um was brave enough in the end to talk to her oh, so cool yeah yeah i love all the work she's doing i think it's amazing like it's fascinating to me like my nerdy side is like oh my gosh look at all that data like <laughs> <laughs> all the things we could learn and then like the actual like vibrator itself is awesome and it's just like it looks really great yeah yeah absolutely yeah okay so i have a couple more questions for you so i'm going to skip out down to one from julie she says hi beaver will you work with families i have a 20 year old male with tbi who requires support with his sexual needs but his mother is resistant hmm. So TBI is really challenging. I've worked with a couple of clients with TBI and they are um, the ones that I struggle the most with creating a safe container. And unfortunately, the two clients that I started working with, I don't work with them anymore because I can't, um, because there's issues around consent, not about family members. Um, so yeah, my first question about that is capacity. So if the... Um, if the client has capacity, then the fact that the the, um, the parent um, doesn't agree with it 
um, that's that, that's irrelevant because if the person if this person in question is an adult, they're above the age of consent, they have the legal capacity to consent, then it's nobody else's business. Yeah, what and Julie just said he has capacity. So Sorry? yeah. Okay. So then if he has capacity but the mother um is being obstructive, then he's just gonna have to find a way to um get you know to to do what he needs without his mum knowing. Um and I have clients that, you know, do have to do that. They've snuck out of the house. They, their, their parents might be their full-time carers and they know that their parents aren't going to approve. So they come to a session and they specifically say to me, can you make sure that, um, that my shoelaces are tied in exactly the same way or my clothes are put on exactly the same way because I'm going back home and my parents will know if, you know, anything is different. Yeah, and I think there needs to be some education for caregivers and parents out there on how important this is, you know, because nobody should feel, gosh, that's going to be so hard, like to have to consult your mother or your father or your brother to have sexual pleasure. Like, that's just, I can't even imagine how hard right. that is. I do have clients whose parents are really supportive and they might, um, you know, facilitate so they might drive clients you know to to the venue and and then take them home afterwards i've had that um before um and parents that um uh they might not agree with it they might not like it but they don't stand in the way and they you know they step away and step back i've had that um but yeah if 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 he's if he's an adult and he has capacity then it's got really nothing to do with anybody else. He has exactly the same rights as, as we do. And we don't have to consult our parents about what we do with our bodies and who we're having sex with and when and how, how and why. Um, and that kind of just shows to me probably, well, you know, that's all her stuff, isn't it? All her issues and, you know, yeah. her, whatever, her judgments and stigmas and whatever. Yeah. Does that, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, I think that was a really good answer. So, Julie, if you have anything else, just go ahead and leave it in the chat. Um, and I wanted to ask you, too, Beaver, so where do your sessions usually take place? You said, like, meet at the venue. So, like, where where do you usually have your sessions? Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so, this is really a problem. This is problematic. And this just kind of goes to show about, you know, the thing around that we were talking about, about accessibility. So, if it's possible that I can go to them, um, then I will and I do travel around the UK and I even travel abroad um, if that's easier um, you know because they might you know they they all their equipment is there in the home it might be that they need hoisting so the hoists are there they might you know all that kind of thing um, if that's not possible because there's an obstructive parent or you know a carer or some other reason um, then they then we have to find somewhere and at the moment I don't have a space that's fully accessible where I can see clients. Um, and it's not, my work isn't fully legitimized um, in the clinical world. So I, it, I can't use a clinical space. Um, and finding wheelchair accessible rooms to hire with the equipment that I need. Um, there's just not there. It's just not available. I don't think it's ever been done before. I don't think anyone's ever designed um, a per, you know, a, a state-of-the-art, purpose-designed, fully accessible room where you could have intimacy sex sessions with disability clients. 
So um, I end up having to work in a hotel room or an Airbnb. Um, for a time, there was a room that I could use that some of us uh, sexology um, bods created. Um, and it was beautiful um, and it didn't feel, you know, seedy in any way like a hotel room does. Um, but it wasn't accessible, unfortunately. So what I'm, uh, my goal for the next two years is to create this, to create a state-of-the-art, fully accessible, purpose-designed space where I can see clients, uh, a place where I can do training, a place where we can conduct research on spinal cord injury patients that come to me looking to see if they can restore function, you know, and various different products that we can try on them and collect data, you know, so that we can submit that. I want to create this inclusive intimacy space, you know, where all of this can happen in a, in a legitimized way. And eventually um, a place where the NHS can refer patients because we did work with uh, the first client that got funded by the NHS which is really exciting. Yeah, that's incredible. Mm. Like, that's a huge step. Mm. I mean, uh, so they funded it for one year as part of his care package. They recognized that from a medical standpoint and from a mental health standpoint um, and because of behaviors of concern that he needed the this sex therapy and partner surrogacy. And it was, with this particular client, it was surrogacy. So there was a sex therapist involved and I was called in to do the physical piece with him. Um, and then a year later, um, when he reapplied, they rejected his funding and said it wasn't an appropriate use of public money. So in my mind, they, um, you know, they recognized that, yes, it was needed. But then they were kind of like, oh, you know, we've opened a can of worms. And if we say yes to him, then we have to say yes to others. So we better quickly shut it down again. Right. Which is terrible. You know, like they should have just stuck with their original decision. But Hopefully right. they'll get there in time. Right. But, you know, I'm constantly getting referrals from spinal cord injury units and they, you know, they refer uh, patients to the TLC trust um, and tell patients to use it or lose it. You know, and the patient says, oh, I, well, I don't have a partner. And then they say, oh, we'll go and see the sex workers at the TLC. You know, they'll take care of you. You know, but we have no experience or training in working with spinal cord injury. Right. And there is there is no formal training. So all of the. Um, knowledge that I've acquired over the last, you know, three to five years has been on the job, on the job training, and um, you know, and and a really a, a real steep learning curve, and um, you know, things like uh, the fire alarm going off, and I'm on a fifth floor of a hotel with a client who's, uh, you know, a wheelchair user who's bladder incontinent. You know, and the fire alarm is blaring and I'm like, crap, you know, how am I going to get him out? How, you know, and just visions of me wrapping a blanket around him, um, you know, and ha you know, hauling him into the chair and then running down the corridor and, you know, we going everywhere and the, bur the building burning and me thinking, why have they put us on the fifth floor anyway? Why is the wheelchair accessible room on the fifth floor of a hotel? Exactly. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, yeah. So, so if I have to use a hotel room and it, you know, it's the last resort, I, you know, I check things like that now because I can't control the environment so much. I make sure that the, the heating is working in the room. 
I'm, I'm checking that there's not going to be a fire alarm test, you know? I'm, right. I'm, <laughs> I'm checking to see if there's a bed, uh, like a double bed. If I have to work on a single medicalized bed ever again, I'm going to scream. Like, it's oh, like working oh. on a bouncy castle. Like, through my sessions are three hours. I do the, all my sessions. I don't do one hour or two hour sessions, a minimum of three hour sessions. And it's like, you know, the next day, like my body's aching. It's like I've spent, you know, two hours on a bouncy castle. It's not fun. Oh gosh, yeah, I can't imagine. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> um, I haven't yet worked in a residential care home. I've had lots of inquiries from care care managers making inquiries about their their residents, but as of yet, no one's gone on to make a booking, and I'm not sure why. Um, because my retention rate from a discovery call to them actually booking is like ridiculously high it's like 95 percent so i'm wondering if that's something on their side um yeah i don't know but my yeah my my biggest wish list is to create the space um where i can see clients and i'm i would have so much fun designing it i have so many ideas about what we need to put in this space like for example you know fully ceiling hoisted so uh, so clients could be hoisted in and out of a bath like yeah. most of my clients have never had a bath with someone and that's so basic and you know part of, part of relaxation to be in a hot tub and just chat and you know it's a really beautiful way to start a session and um that's just not possible for so many of my clients but it would be very possible to design and create that Yes. Oh my gosh. I want you to have this space. I can just only imagine how cool it would be. And also to like set a precedent so people know like what, so they, they know how to design their own spaces, you know, because, you know, you may have, you have the experience and you've seen so many things. And so, you know, you know, what's needed for intimacy in a bedroom and, you know, other people have no idea, you know, what they could need or how a small change could vastly improve their experiences. And so to have your room, your setup be like the the gold standard, you know, like the example, you know, oh, I think that would be amazing. I think there needs to be like a TV show, you know, how they make over rooms and spaces. And, you know, and I I would... I wouldn't design, you know, I've got my ideas from my perspective as the, of the practitioner of what I need. Like, so for example, if I'm working with someone in a wheelchair and it might be that they don't want to get out of the wheelchair or they can't because there's no hoist or whatever. So we do the session in the wheelchair, you know, from my perspective, I know what I need to navigate that equipment and what would help me in that session. Um, and, you know, and then from their perspective, you know, I would consult with the disability community and say, look, we're going to create this. What do you want to see in it? Like, you know, this is a space for you and get them to design it and put all our ideas together and then get some investment and then just build it. And I and I, I it would get so much media attention. It would, yeah. you know, it would just it would be amazing. It would really. Yeah. It, it, it would be cutting edge, it would be pioneering, and it's needed, like it's really needed. And it shifts the the narrative um, from, you know, adult entertainment into, into, you know, health and well-being and growth and development and the right to access sexual expression, which is so, so important. Right. Yeah. We just have to get this idea in front of the right people, you know, the people who have the funding and the media attention. So hopefully, 
you know, maybe somebody will share this episode or your contact information and we can get it out there because I just think that would be incredible. It would be great. It would be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? I could imagine um, having um, my, you know, my toolkit of all of these adapted sex toys and wedges and different positioning aids. And, you know, it'd be like a sexy playground. It'd be like, right, come into the sexy playground. Let's explore you know, all these different equipments to see what's possible, you know, let's see if we can get you standing up so you can, you know, have sex standing up instead of always being on your back receiving, you know. And my yeah. kids are really up for it. They're really up for exploring and playing like that. They want to know what they can do and what's possible. And sex tech is a big part of that, a big part of that. Yeah, I imagine it being like a cross between like um, a physical therapy space and like a sexy dungeon room, you know, like. <laughs> Yeah. yeah there's play things but there's also like necessary physical equipment but it's fun and it's sexy oh i could totally see it that's so yeah. cool yeah and you, and you know people assume that people with disability don't have money to spend but they do you know i mean i'm i'm not cheap you know my rate is pretty high um because you know i work very hard and that's what i feel that i i need and you know my clients pay it um you know i have a, i have a sliding scale so i'm i'm not out out pricing anyone and it's my um you know it's it's my discretion if i want to drop my rate to someone who's struggling financially and i do and i do check in with clients to see if you know i don't ever want money to be a barrier um right. but they have the money to spend and and they do spend it um so yeah let's build it huh <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We have to stay in touch about this because I think it's really cool. Yeah. All right. So I think I have one more question for you. Okay. So Isabella wants to know, she said, you mentioned that there was, or there is some training in Australia for sex workers about working with disabled clients. Do you have a link for this course? Because Isabella would love to check it out. Ah, yes. Um, I do. What, how, how's the best way to that? Yeah, I was thinking, so maybe you could send it to me after the recording and then I could, well, I'll Isabella, I'll personally send it to you, but then I'll also share it like in the event. I'll share it on the podcast when I post it. Um, Isabella is an intimacy coordinator. That's what she does. So I could see this being um, of great interest to her for sure. So yeah, I'll share the link if you want to send it to me afterwards. Yeah. And if she just wants to Google touching base Australia, it'll come up and then yeah, then you'll see it there. Very cool. All right. So does anybody else have questions? I'm trying to scan back and see if I missed anything. Um, Paulina wants to know, she said, I also wonder if people who acquire disabilities and lose sense in one part of their body get more sensitive in other places. Yeah, well, mm, uh, they can do if they if they choose that and part of the reframing of sexuality is to help people open up new pathways to pleasure that previously they didn't focus on because they might have been um focused on um friction sex or you know body body impact rubbing that kind of thing when you um when you lose sensation um or there's loss of function then to derive arousal you have to then look at different pathways that maybe you didn't explore before so yes um a lot of my clients that are um with spinal cord injury um where they don't have um sensation their visual um you know the visual aspect 
it, you know, becomes more online. That's a way into their arousal. They need, they need that visual stimulation um, or, you know, or smell um, or sound. Um, and it's great because, um, you know, it might be for years that they've operated their sex lives in one way, you know, the standard way that most of us kind of, you know, view, set, view sex. Um, clients that, you know, that hold their breath, that clench and build up a lot of um, tension in the body and then have this, you know, big release is like the typical way that most people um, experience orgasm. And then to be able to teach or guide um, them to, you know, something just as simple as, you know, to unclench your jaw and open your mouth. Yeah. Um, you know, and say, ah, <laughs> ah, and, the, and allow sound to come out and completely shift um, arousal states and, and, and increase um, arousal and pleasure and sensation. So, yes, and, 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 and yeah, they're really responsive. All my clients are very responsive to, to things like that, to those suggestions and trying out different things. For sure. Cool. Well, this has been an awesome chat. I could sit here and talk with you for like another hour, but I'm going to just end it now because I could go on and on with you. This is so interesting. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to mention before we go, Beaver? Um, I just want to say a big shout out to anyone who's, you know, championing and who's an advocate or an ally um in sex tech and sexual health and wellness who's like you know shifting um s social perceptions you know from very shadow unconscious kind of shameful sexuality and bringing it bringing light to it bringing it out into the open i think you know anyone who's brave enough to step in to to this industry you know i'm so grateful and thankful and i'm inspired um you know, I'm constantly inspired by the conversations that I'm hearing, the things that I'm reading on LinkedIn, things that I never would have thought would happen in my generation, you know, in a generation where we all had to, you know, not talk about anything. And th this to me is just, it's so life affirming and so powerful and healing. Um, and we're literally changing, um, this is a you know, human evolution. This is a sexual revolution on an evolutionary scale and these gen z's that are coming forward um you know i'm so inspired that that about their knowledge and that they know more than me it's great and i, I just want to thank everyone for showing up and turning up and being brave yeah and i i agree with you i feel the same way about like the space like i'm constantly meeting people and seeing like posts and information and people who are just unashamed and unafraid to express themselves and to talk about sexuality. And that's, I think what drew me to this space in the first place. Like I love talking about sexuality and technology, but also to meet all these cool people who are just shame-free, just like, you know, that's who I want to model myself after. I love it. So I think it's just really cool to see that happening. Mm -hmm. All right. So Beaver, where can we find you? What's your website? What's your social media? Share it all. Uh, disabilitysexcoach.com uh, TikTok is at Beaver Meadow I think or at the Disability Sex Coach if you just tap that in to any search engine I'll pop up you'll find me because there's not there's not many of us doing that 
<laughs> you just put in sex and disability and um, beaver and yeah, you'll find everything. Awesome. Very cool. And I'll do a little um, like copy paste of some links to share in the show notes. So once I release the podcast, I'll have like everything linked up. So it'll be really easy for the podcast viewers to find you. So great. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle, for inviting me on. Yes. Thank you for coming on and chatting. Like this is, I love this. So anytime you have updates or anything you want to share, just send me a message and we'll do another episode with you. So if anything new and exciting is happening, you're doing a new training or we finally get this um, amazing office space, you know, set up. So we'll just, anytime you want to chat about stuff, just let me know. Great. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for everyone listening. Yeah. Thanks everybody for joining us. This was really fun. So I think we have Isabella. So thank you, Isabella, Paulina, and Julie. Thank you for joining us live and asking questions. Um, and thank you to anybody who's listening to this on the podcast. Um, if anybody has questions, feel free to send me a message on LinkedIn. Um, you'll find me at Michelle Melville Kashan or at Sex Tech Talk. All right. Well, everybody have a great rest of the day and thanks again. Bye everyone. Bye.